Admitting sin, it means you say, yeah, I did it. But you could say, yeah, I did it, so what? That's not confessing, that's admitting that you did it. Confession, biblical confession, means that you agree with God about your sin. It's time for Moody Presents, and that voice you just heard was that of Dr. Mark Job, president of the Moody Bible Institute, our teacher here, and also the founding pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. Well, today we continue to move into some really heavy but needed teaching from Psalm 51 through the life of none other than King David. Now, if you maybe missed the last couple of messages that focus on how to deal with our sin, why not go to moodypresents.org and catch up? Let's head now to our scripture as Pastor Mark takes us to Psalm 51. I love the simplicity of our message title, Repentance. A lot of people confuse being sorry and repenting. How many of you know that you can be sorry and even shed tears but not really repent? Because repent means that you change. Uh, You can, uh, let me explain it this way. Over the years I've talked to a lot of people that think they've repented, but they never really repented. They were just sorry over the circumstances or sorry that they got caught or sorry that it turned out bad like it did, but they did not really repent in a biblical sense of the word. And so, hey, I've talked to wives at times, for example, that have a big problem with their husbands and their husband in some way fails them, so they kick them out of the house. And the husband sleeps in their cousin's basement for a while, or in the back of his pickup truck. He lets it cool down after a while, then he comes to the door, he knocks, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've seen these puppy eyes from your husband, but you know, he puts on those puppy eyes and he's, babe, come on, babe. It's me. I love you, babe. I'm, it's going to be different. I, I, this time I've learned. I've, I've changed. I've, I, I've come to my senses. Here, here's some flowers. I haven't given to you in a long time, but here they are. I, now I know I'll never do it again. It's never going to happen again. Come on, just baby, just, me, just let me in, you know, right there. I'll sleep on the couch. Once he's in the house, I give it about three weeks till he's back to the same old, same old, because He was sorry that he was sleeping on the couch in his cousin's basement, but he wasn't repentant about his behavior. That is being sorry, but not repenting. Another place that I see a lot of people being sorry is when they have to go to a forced education, like 26 and Cal. It's amazing the letters I get from people that suddenly, hey, pastor, I know you haven't seen me for a long time, but remember me. Um, I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm in prayer. I'm going to chapel. I'm really seeking God now. There's not a lot of other options, right? I'm really seeking God now. When someone's in prison, suddenly there's this heightened spirituality, especially if they're facing several years, and then suddenly there's a strong spirituality, a lot of letters, a lot of seeking God, and I'm always happy, and I try to respond to those letters, and I pray for those people that are in prison, yet my big issue is 
I want to see what happens once they're out. Because I'm not really sure if they're repentant to change or if they're sorry that they got caught and they're in prison and they can't, they're away from their family and uh, they're facing years and lost lives. But, but the big thing is, what's going to happen once they're out of prison, they walk back into society around their friends, if they have really repented, their life will change. If they were just sorry over their circumstances, I can guarantee you they'll go right back to the same things they were doing because they didn't really repent. They were just sorry over their circumstances. And so in Psalms 51, we see the story of David and the contrast really between being sorry and being truly repentant. And the reason that this is so important is that you will never change without the power of repentance. Some of you have struggled with issues for a long time and you've been sorry many times, but you continue to do them because you're sorry, but you haven't yet repented. And you wonder why you cry or pray or confess it to God, but yet go back to it over and over again. And so I want you to understand really the five characteristics of true repentance found in Psalm 51, the story of David. So if you have your Bibles this morning, please turn with me to Psalms 51, and I'm going to take you through. It's a long psalm, so I'm not going to go verse by verse through the entire psalm, but I'm going to just highlight uh, some of the characteristics of David. Now, you remember from last week that David was a man after God's own heart, but he got caught in this uh, temptation of lusting, of adultery with a married woman, of getting the married woman's husband drunk to manipulate him. And when that didn't work, he found out that he had impregnated the married woman, so he orchestrated for the death of this, uh, of this woman's husband. And then he, to cover it up, he married the woman, and for a year, he thought it was over, he thought he had handled it, and finally Nathan the prophet comes and confronts David and says, you are the man. And now David is exposed to his sin, and this Psalm 51 was written after David's sin had been exposed. So it's a psalm of repentance, it's David working through his repentance. So, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The first mark of true repentance, if you're taking notes, write this down, humble confession instead of defensive excuses. Notice what he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. You see, he realizes that he has sinned and he needs mercy. You ask for mercy only when you know that something is coming your direction, right? You know that you're getting something you deserve, so you ask for mercy, and he says, God, have mercy according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgression. Wash away my iniquity. What David is doing is he's humbling, confessing that he has sinned and he needs God's mercy on his life. Notice what he doesn't say. 
He he didn't say, oh God, it was uh, my advisors around me. When I asked them to bring her to me, they should have said, no, David, she's a married woman. Stay away from her. These incompetent people I have around me. He didn't say, well, Lord, I have six wives, and, you know, they're getting a little older. They're a little about out of shape. If only they would have watched what they ate, I wouldn't have fallen with this. No, 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 no. He didn't say that. What David says is, my transgression, my sin, he doesn't excuse it. You see, a lot of us spend a lot of time excusing our sin. We explain why we fell into sin. If you're at the point right now that you're excusing your sin, that you're explaining why you fell into what you did, that you're justifying it, minimizing it, trying to sort of explain why it's logical for you to have fallen in your sin, then I will tell you this. You have not reached the point of repentance. You are still at the point of being sorry over your sin, but not, not repentant over it. If you are a husband right here today and you're losing your temper and uh, blowing up at your kids and being abusive with your language and, uh, and crossing lines because of your temper, and when, when someone talks to you about it, you say, well, my problem is, is my wife. You see, she just, if you wouldn't aggravate me so much, honey, I, I would just never blow up. Let me tell you what I've just heard. I've just heard justification. I've just heard excuses. Because in essence, what that person is saying is it's not my fault. I don't take responsibility. If people around me would change, then I would be different. Listen, if that's what you're saying, you have not repented. The man that's caught on internet pornography and his wife walks in and says, honey, what did I see? I was going through the computer and I saw some really graphic images that you're watching. How'd you get involved in that? And he says, well, honey, you know, you have headaches a lot and you're not there for me as much as I need you. I'm a man. I have testosterone. What do you expect me to do? Of course I'm going to go, whoa, 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 wait a second. All I'm hearing there is excuses. I'm not hearing someone take responsibility for their sin. I'm not hearing someone say, have mercy on me, O God, because I've sinned. I'm hearing someone explain why they're sinning and justifying their sin. Are you tracking with me this morning? Are you okay? All right. So if you're making excuses for what you're doing, I'm going to tell you, you haven't come to the point of repentance. When someone truly repents, they say, God, have mercy because I have truly sinned. This is Moody Presents with Pastor Mark Job, and we're tackling a tough subject today, repentance. This message is actually included in a seven-part series called Deeper, Beyond Shallow Spirituality. If you'd like to revisit today's broadcast or listen to any past message, you're always welcome to do that at our website, moodypresents.org. Moodypresents.org. Back to Mark Job now and the difference between confessing and admitting our sin. Here's Mark. David refers to his sin not as a mistake, not as an indulgence, not as a slip-up, not as a, 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 a little uh, failure. He calls it transgression, iniquity, sin. 
He calls it the things that God defines it as. And when you're still talking about your sin as failure, as mess up, as mistake, then probably you're covering up your sin. If you're uh, shifting the blame on other people, you're probably covering up your sin. When you've come to a point of repentance, you call it sin, you ask for God's mercy, and you confess it before him. Now, I think it's important to define what it means to confess. Uh, John 1, 9, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But a lot of people don't confess their sin, they admit their sin and think they've confessed it. Do you know there's a difference between confessing and admitting? How many of you know there's a difference? Admitting sin, it means you say, yeah, I did it. But you could say, yeah, I did it, so what? That's not confessing, that's admitting that you did it. Confession, biblical confession, means that you agree with God about your sin. It means that you say, God, yes, I did lie, and God, I know that you hate lies, and I know that my tongue should speak the truth, and I know that it kills my soul when I lie, and Lord, I know that it hurts your heart, and it grieves your spirit, and I know that this is not the way I should be living because it is, it, it, it is sin against you. That is confession. Admitting is simply saying, I did it. Confessing is agreeing with God about our sin. And some people, some of you were brought up in, in, in certain traditions where uh, you were encouraged to confess it. And so you'd go and confess it, but you weren't necessarily repentant of it. You confessed it. I did it. But in your mind was, I'm going to do it again. That's not repentance. And so the second thing I want you to understand about true repentance is this. Not only does it involve humble confession instead of defensive excuses, it also involves personal responsibility instead of dodgy blame shifting. They go hand in hand with the first point. Notice what it says in verse 3. For I know my transgressions. This word transgressions is an interesting word. Uh, how many of you, as you prayed the Lord's Prayer, were taught to pray and forgive us our transgressions as we forget those who transgress against us? Some of you were taught that version, right? And some of you prayed that and never knew what, what in the world you were praying because you don't really know what transgression means. The word transgression means deliberate disobedience or rebellion against God. So David is saying, I know I take responsibility. Notice what he says. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. I'm not hiding it. I'm looking at it. It's obvious. It's there. It's real. I can't get away from it. God, you have brought it to my attention and I see it very clearly. You see, David was taking personal responsibility, and he wasn't blame-shifting or dodging. Do you remember what happened in Genesis and when God created man and woman, and the very first sin that they committed, it's referred to as the fall of man, and then they hid in the garden, and God says that he was walking through the garden in the dusk of Eve, and as he strolled through the garden, he said, Adam, Adam, where are you? Adam was hiding. And finally, when God found Adam, he said, Adam, is it true? Why were you hiding? Is it true that you sinned? 
And Adam said, what did he say? Do you remember? The woman. Me? No, no, no. That Eve that you created, she did it. Notice how quickly he blame shifted. He didn't say, yes, God, I have sinned against you. Yes, he said, it's the woman you gave me. Then God turned to the woman and he said, woman, is that true? And the woman said, the devil made me do it. You see, we started learning the blame shifting from the beginning, and we have been in that process uh, since then. Typically, when we sin, it's easy for us to blame shift and, and not take personal responsibility. You have crossed a major line of denial when you say, I have sinned. I take responsibility for my sin. I have sinned against God. And notice what it says. Against you and you only have I sinned. This is David speaking. And done what is evil in your sight. So that you may prove what is right when you speak and justified when you judge. Now I want to ask you this question. Hold on a second. I thought David committed adultery with Bathsheba. I thought that he killed Uriah. I thought that he got Joab involved in the mix. It sounds like he sinned against a lot of people. Why is David saying, against you, God, and you only have I sinned? Here's what I want you to understand. That every time we sin, the very first person that we are sinning against is God and not other people. To get right with God, to get right about our sin, the first place that we have to go is God, and then we go to others. We don't go to others first and then to go to God. We first of all go to God because all sin is against God. All sin. Now, getting right with others may involve you confessing your sin to someone else that you have sinned against. If you've stolen from someone, you say, I've stolen, and you, you give back what you've stolen. But first of all, you go to God and you say, God, I have stolen. I've taken that which was not mine, and I take responsibility for it, Lord, and I repent before it, ask that you change me, and then in that process of restoration, you go to the person that you've sinned against, and you say, I've sinned against you. I've gotten it right with God. Here's what I stole from you. I restore what I gave back. Or if you lied to someone, I lied to you. I'm sorry. I, will you forgive me? And you make it right. But first of all, you make things right with God because first, before anybody else, our sin is always against God. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And then he says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. I want to just clarify a point here because I think it's worthy of clarification. Um, oftentimes, people misunderstand this, and the Bible tells us that we are all born with a sin nature. Ever since Adam, the, the sin nature has been passed down through the seed of man. When a man and a woman conceive, the sin nature is passed down through conception. So when your child was born, when you were born, you were born with a sin nature. Now what does that mean? Does that mean that you were born with sin? No, it means that you were born with the predisposition to sin. It doesn't mean that you have sin in your life, but it means that when you're old enough and you have the chance, you will sin. Because nature dictates action. You have the sin nature given to you by Adam and Eve because of their fall. That is why when Jesus was born, 
He was not born of the seed of a man. He was born through a virgin by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit so that when Jesus was born, he did not have a sin nature. Therefore, he would not sin as God and as man. He, he, he did not have the same nature that you and I have, the sin nature inside of them. Now, when a baby is born, a baby does not have any sin in their life. And I run into some people that get real nervous about their babies and they feel like, well, because they're, this baby's born with a sin nature, I got to baptize them when they're young to take away their sin. That baby has no sin. And that's why I believe that when a child dies, a baby dies, you don't have to worry about them being condemned because of their sin because they haven't had the opportunity to sin. They can't sin as a baby. When they reach an old enough age, they will sin. And when they reach an old enough age when they sin, they also need a savior. So when they're old enough to sin, they're also old enough to need a savior. But as a baby, they cannot sin. Therefore, there is no condemnation upon their life. Is that, is that clear? Just to, to ease the, the mind of some of you young mothers who have had babies and kind of wonder about infant baptism. So you take responsibility. David says, surely... Uh, sinful from my mother's womb when my mother can uh, conceive me. And then number three, uh, deep and honest cleansing instead of cheap relief. So personal responsibility instead of dodgy blame shifting, deep, honest cleansing instead of cheap relief. Notice what David says in verse six. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. Teach me wisdom in the inmost place. You know what happens when we sin? and we don't want to repent, is that we start lying to ourselves deep inside. Uh, do you realize that a lot of people are very dishonest with themselves? And until they get truth in their inward parts, they're, they're, they lie to themselves about their sin. And until, uh, this is what David says to God, I know you want me to be honest and truthful inside. And sometimes when we're sinning, we, we don't want to be honest and we don't want to be truthful, so we lie to ourselves so that we can continue on it. But God takes us to the point, conviction takes us to the point where we, are, where we become honest with God and honest with ourselves, and we stop playing the game of deception and we're honest and we have to say, yes, I have sinned against God, I have sinned in my life. And he says, you desire truth in the inward parts, Teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Hyssop was a plant that they used for ceremonial cleansing. And I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Uh, he says, the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Here's what I want you to understand. When you're truly repentant, you're gonna desire to be clean. And not only do you desire to be clean, you desire to be restored to God, to the right place where God wants you to be in. What happens when we're, when we're not repentant? Let me tell you, if you're here this morning and you are living with unconfessed sin, major areas in your life that you have not confessed, that you have not dealt with, that you're just living with, let me tell you what's happening in your life right now. Number one, a wrong spirit. Verse 10 says, restore right spirit within me. You have a wrong spirit. 
Your spirit's not going to be right with God. It's not going to connect with God. It's going to be in the wrong place. It's not going to hear from God correctly. It's not going to understand the things of God. The spirit part of you is the part that hears the messages from God, and so your spirit's going to be wrong. Secondly, you will feel separated from the presence of God. In verse 11, he says, do not cast me away from your presence. Not that God has abandoned you. Your sin comes between you and God. God doesn't leave you, but your sin does not allow you to see God clearly or experience his presence. That's Moody Bible Institute President, Dr. Mark Job, And you're listening to Moody Presents. For more, visit our website, moodypresents.org. What's there? Well, you'll find our complete message archive, resources for going deeper with God, also ways to connect and partner with us in this growing broadcast ministry. Hey, have you noticed that uh, monthly expenses have a way of showing up? Well, monthly, they never stop, and those expenses need to be cared for monthly. And the same is true with this radio program. We do have monthly expenses, salaries, insurance, equipment, software, hardware, licensing fees, and the list goes on. And truthfully, We rely on monthly partners to help shoulder that load. We're so grateful for those who have already made the decision to give a gift every month. That's what a monthly partner is. So I guess what we're headed here is, would you consider doing the same? It's easy to sign up and become a monthly partner right now at moodypresents.org. That's moodypresents.org. Our time is gone, but we hope you'll join us next week as we continue our study on what we can learn from King David in Psalm 51 about repentance. I'm John Geiger, and this is Moody Presents, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.